0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode number five of season number three of Musicians for Mental Health. On this podcast, we speak with musicians about mental health openly and honestly without the veil of lyrics. We are not mental health professionals, we're not licensed therapists or counselors, we're just people that have our own experiences and journeys within mental health and want to shed a light on these things. On this episode, I have an incredible conversation with Matthew Nichols of the band Bad Juju. Um, They're an incredible Australian band, um, really tackling a lot of mental health topics and being very transparent with their message and open and honest and authentic about uh, their own struggles as well. And... This conversation was no different. I had a great time talking with Matthew. We touched on all sorts of things, including uh, the music of Bad Juju and kind of how some of the new music relates to mental health journeys and things like that. And then Matthew and I also spoke a bit about his own personal journey, and I want to give him a huge shout out and thank you for being open and honest and having this conversation with me because it is important um that we have these conversations and that we're you know trying to to bring as much light to these issues as possible because the more we talk about it the more comfortable it becomes the more uh resources and help and and options that exist so uh yeah let's just dive into this this is my conversation with matthew nichols of the band bad juju Awesome. Uh, to kick things off, I do start with the same boring ass question every time. Simple introduction, man. Who are you, and a little background on yourself?
1: Yeah, um, my name's Matthew. I play bass and um, sing um, some vocals in the band Bad Juju. We're from Melbourne, Australia. Um, yeah. We've been at it for since about twenty eighteen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the cool thing for me, uh, when Ophelia reached out, I obviously wasn't super familiar with you guys. I think I'd heard one song uh, previously. So I started digging into kind of the discography of everything. And one of the things I love about what you guys are doing is you're not pulling any punches. You're not really hiding anything. Um, you're, You're being very obviously there's the, the songwriter playfulness in some of it, but it's very on the nose as well, where, Hey, here's a real life issue. This is what we're going through, you know, and it's not this grand, you know, symbolism or anything like that. How important is it to you guys to remain authentic in your, your topics within that?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Like I, um, Um, often like speak to Russell about you know as he he writes the lyrics and you know he he's like very adamant that um, the lyrics he writes he wants everyone to be able to understand them like you listen to the song and you can straight up sort of basically grasp what he's talking about Um, and yeah like it's we, you know, we are we are using metaphors and things to some extent, but um probably probably less than other bands. Um, you know, and this I mean, like the second song that we wrote. Um actually no, it was the first song we released it was like a very straight up song about a friend that um, passed away. Um, you know, and like communicating that in a direct way sort of made it easy for people to understand like what we were talking about and um, getting it across clearly. I think that that can be helpful.
0: Yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that. I think, you know, it's one of those, especially in, in this type of music scene in general, like I think that's what a lot of the fan base looks for is something that they can relate to something that really helps them feel like they're not alone anymore.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, like I feel like um, I, just, I just like sort of, sort of like the music that that we play. Like you know, our our audience. Like I mean, like I know other other friends of mine, and sort of like we play in like a fairly like highbrow indie rock band. Um, you know, and their their audience their audience is different, and they're sort of looking, um, you know at a at a message that um sort of can be interpreted on many levels and or yeah. might it might not even make sense at all. Um, right. Yeah, you know, you know, and our, our audience um in, in Melbourne at least, um, when we come to their shows, it more it's, you know, it's more more working class people, people that, you know, not nece- our audience doesn't necessarily have like, you know, two university degrees in art right. studies and things like that. You know, and we want to um, and that's what the majority of people are like, and that's what we're like as people. and yeah. um, you know, that um makes sense for us to write songs in that way,
0: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I think you know you you mentioned there are other artists, you know across the world, obviously, that write in much more metaphoric terms and things like that. and i I think from a fan base perspective, and literally, as you were talking, it it's when I processed it and was like, huh, I wonder if this is what it is, you know, like traditional like pop music and stuff like that seems to be that their fan base is more surface level or uh, almost like an escapism where the, you know, pop punk alternative music scene, whatever we're going to classify it, you know, um, is much more of the like wanting community and almost a therapy session within their music
1: yeah that's right like we're sort of like drawing in drawing people into the reality that we're experiencing um you know and yeah like i guess you turn on the radio you're having a shitty day you know you don't want to hear like you know whoever it is like justin bieber or you know (laughs) um who's the other who's the other guy um, the guy with red hair and the glasses, uh, Ed Sheeran, Ed Sheeran. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, I'm sure they do, they too, like sometimes cover some deep stuff, but it's like, you know, you turn on the radio, you just want a happy tune to sort of, you know, bop around to in your car if no one's watching. Um, but yeah, what, what we do, bad jujus and, you know, alternative rock or whatever you want to call it, um, in general, um, we're talking about things that people are experiencing and sort of coming together um around the feeling that you know life's not perfect we're not perfect as people there's all sorts of stuff going on and um yeah like sharing our experiences might be helpful to other people because they would you know find similar um experiences in their own lives and feel less alone like i know a lot of music that I've listened to um, has had that effect on me. Like, you know, in particular, like I remember being a little bit younger and being like really angry at the world. And, um, you know, there was an an American band actually that came to Australia called Have Heart. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, their song, The Machinist, um, was like a really powerful song to me. You know, that's how I was feeling um, around being a very, you know, quite a, a young adult sort of feeling trapped in, right. um, you know, unfulfilling work and pushed around by, you know, older people around you and, um, yeah, like, the effect that that have. And that song's a very straight-up song. Like, I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with, like, that sort of era of hardcore punk. But, For sure. Um, yeah, that was a thing. And, like, that had an effect and sort of all of us in Bad Juju were sort of around in that era of hardcore. And we, we sort of, like play a different style of music now, but we've brought that sort of way of thinking into what we do.
0: Yeah, I think definitely, you know, as I listened through the discography and whatnot, having heard you say that now, like, there's definitely undertones of that style of music in that, maybe not necessarily sonically or lyrically, but like, well, probably lyrically, but like the ethos of what that scene was carries through with you guys on we're going to talk about real life shit. it's not always mm. going to be comfortable to talk about but we're going to have a great time when we do it because we have to get this out
1: yeah yeah that's right um and the other thing that was also fun about bad juju that we you know we've moved away from is we did we had also sort of done a few silly songs like we did it yeah like, <laughs> we did this silly song about aliens and um we did but- another silly song about watching slasher movies You know and that and um yeah you know we like we like to balance those two things but definitely like on the direction we're moving we're sort of moving into being like more of you know quite a serious rock band i guess yeah
0: Um, Yeah. uh the alien one may not be that silly anymore the u.s government is claiming (laughs) that aliens are real now and that's right all sorts of shit
1: so (laughs) yep Tom along was right all along yeah um so there you go yeah
0: no it's crazy Mm. um So let's walk through a little bit about uh you know this this podcast specifically being centered around mental health but i want to talk about kind of the formation of the band and how you guys kind of found each other and acknowledged that this is as kind of gross as it feels to say as a business type thing like this is the mission of the band right like making sure everybody's in the same boat and going towards the same direction.
1: Yeah, like when when the band was started, um, I originally, um, I'm the, there was a bass player in the band before me for a short while, um, but I knew the guys from other bands that they'd been in, um, in Melbourne, um, and Abe and Russell and our original drummer, Nick, they're all in a metalcore band called Death in Bloom. Um, and the guitarist in that band, um, I was in a melodic hardcore band with, um, and yeah, like I remember the first, um, the first song Bad Juju released, um, you know, just, it just went crazy, like on the internet in Melbourne, like everyone was like, oh, wow. Like, and I was, I was really impressed with it. Um, in a few, like a month later, um, I got, asked to fill in for a tour we were touring with um trophy eyes i think it was like the band's third show yeah um yeah. we'd released two songs before that um, we hadn't released um any like their first ep or anything and yeah you know i went on that tour and asked to join the band afterwards um and then, you know, from then, for me, it was like sort of a process of like getting to know people who were sort of acquaintances um, and, you know, coming, you know, bandmates and really, you know, very good friends with. Um, so that, that was awesome. Um, in terms of like what the band is and what our like aesthetic is and what the messaging and the music is like um that, that sort of like took a while to develop and a lot of it was sort of like instinctual like at, i mean like yeah. at the time in australia um our second song like got onto no it was the second or third song we released it was the second single release we released and the third song got put on national radio here and it was like played all the time and um it was sort of like a softer sort of song. Um and you know, and in that time we were sort of like tagged um as like sort of within some people in the music industry were sort of like talking us up as like a next big thing type yeah. band and um you know, it's sort of like and we had um, you know, management and big management and like people, people talk, looking at us and all that sort of thing. And um there was there was a particular like idea that was sort of like projected onto us as sort of like being like you know there's sort of like an australian sort of sound Mm -hmm. um of bands that are sort of on the national radio station here and um the alternative national radio station here and um you know we sort of had a bit of an identity crisis about like what we were going to be as a band because um, the you know come we came from heavy music um and sort of had got into bands um newer bands that were coming out mostly from america mostly from like the new sort of wave of like emo and post hardcore yeah. music like bands like title fight and balance and composure and super heaven and Touche Amore, those sorts of bands. And, um, you know, as as we emerged, um, we sort of struggled with what we were going to be, whether, whether we were going to be, and as people were telling us, you know, we wanted to we have to be this or we have to be this or we have to be this or we have to be this. Yeah. And um, in the end, we just decided to say fuck it and we just wrote the songs that we wanted to write, um, which resulted in the follow-up release and, um, to our first EP, and the first EP sort of copped like a fair bit of heat, and people were pretty interested in it. And we did something that followed that up. That probably like that did really well for us, but it wasn't what um, we were being pigeonholed into. It was like yeah. a, it was influenced, sort of, you know, by like early early two thousands, like post hardcore rock bands, um, and you know the song that sort of really resonated with that with people from that release was a song called Disappoint which was another song about um a former bandmate of um Russell and Abe that um you know very tragically passed away and sort of like all of the the mixed feelings around that being in a band with someone and being you know have, having um you know the prospect of success and You know sort of the disappointment and how and how things sort of turned out and um you know the pressures like really trying to achieve something can put on personal relationships um yeah and that and that sort of that song sort of seemed to connect with people and we'd like tour and talk you know people would come up and they'd show us on their phone how many times they Listen to it and like how it helped them get through something like someone passing away and like and and then like from that like we sort of realized you know that's sort of more who we are than anyone than anything else um yeah and that's and that's sort of like how how it came and it was it was a sort of a gradual process and it sort of happened a little bit unknown to us but um you know once enough time had passed we sort of realized that you know this is This is what it should be and this is what it can be and this is what it can mean to people if we do it as well as we can um and then from that point we were pretty clear on how to move forward
0: yeah yeah i think the the interesting thing that you mentioned there is that it it came kind of un unknowingly to you or you know like semi unintentionally right like it wasn't hey we're gonna sit down and we're gonna do this thing and we're gonna try to fit ourselves in this area it was just, okay, this is what we've done and it's working. People like it. People are connecting. Um, and I talk a lot about on this podcast and my other, um, about the thing that you just mentioned where, you know, people come up and tell you their stories and their connections with these songs. And, you know, obviously we all want millions of dollars because we live in a capitalist world, but there's a whole different feeling of success when someone comes to you and says, Hey man, this really helped me or this impacted me in this way.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Because like, you know, you can look at your success as like a figure where, you know, you've made this much money and, um, you know, you have played with these bands and whatever it is and you get on this, this playlist. And that, you know, and that to an extent, like can be fulfilling, but it's not like, it's those aren't really artistic or creative goals like they're you know they're things that are you know of this time and how the music industry works they're sort of like marked as points of success Mm -hmm. but it's it's none it's not really creative It it can come from being creative and writing good songs it can can come from just you know the aesthetic of the band a band being fashionable at a time but it is absolutely like more fulfilling to talk to people and think about how like your music has impacted them how it's made them feel how it's fit into their lives how they've understood like what you we've been trying to get across in our music and sort of taken it on and used it to help them or to make them um sort of feel better or deal with things or whatever
0: yeah yeah, and I think you know, again, in this, I don't even have a good name for the alternative music scene anymore because it's all so yeah. muddied together. But in this alternative music scene, non, non radio top forty uh, music scene, it it's really interesting the the power that these things have, and I'm I'm sure you can speak to this as well. But like I can remember, um, you know, in my youth, going through different battles with depression and things like that and really latching on to certain albums or certain songs and feeling that that moment pull me through and it's like you know it goes kind of back to the authenticity part too where in hindsight if that artist was like oh I only wrote that song because the label told me I had to and you know whatever it's like oh, fuck like it wasn't yeah. worth it you know but yeah. to know, you know, hearing the stories and stuff and then to know that the artist truly went through that or whatever, it's like, fuck yeah, like, okay, I'm not alone. I can do something really cool too. And maybe my, you know, maybe I can deliver that message.
1: Yeah, totally. And like you can see from like what, what's what been happening with, you know, the, you know, very tragic passing away of various artists that you can be right up at the top of the game and you can get everything that you want to get and you you know and it can still I don't know at a certain point not mean anything or life can be so difficult that you know if you look at what what's happened um with people you know obvious examples don't need mentioning um yeah so like it's it's pretty tough um like I I guess the positive like the positive side of it is like the opportunity to to like write real shit and put it out and do it that way um like and i guess like that when you're writing um you know like the syllables of the english language are really unforgiving when it comes to like yeah <laughs> that, like having something that you want to say and then having to fit like um rhythm and melody around the syllables of a particular word like right that that can get really tough, um, but, you know, to that extent, like, I guess there's there's only so much of a limit that that imposes on, like, saying what you actually want to say. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that, that's where, you know, obviously some of that uh, artistic side comes in, and you can put in some sort of uh, metaphor to just slightly change the words that you have to use but
1: to still tell the same message yeah totally and it like it and it is sort of like it does sort of bum you out when you like meet artists or talk to artists and they're not necessarily what you think they are like I remember um I remember like this is probably as a teenager being like really into straight edge and getting bummed out like if like someone breaks edge or yeah um yeah like I mean there was like there was a there was a tour in australia here um i won't mention the bands but like you know there was there was a band that toured um and you know the support the support bands were pretty well known in like in the music community here and they you know they were talking about like sort of you know what assholes the people were and how they you know they didn't really like care for the audience and um sort of looked upon people sort of as customers rather than um rather yeah. than human beings and things like that like i remember and you know all of that may have not been true but the effect that it had on me as like someone who was like you know in their like teenage years and like religiously following a particular band was like sort of bummed me out i sort of like felt a sense of um defeat a little bit um so like i guess like to some extent um you know artists have some responsibilities to sort of like try and practice what they preach a little bit you know what whatever it is that you're talking about um you, you know you've got a some responsibility to to you know hold that authentically in your, you know, in how you present yourself outside of, um, yeah, playing on stage.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree because especially like if you are still meeting fans like after the show, things like that. You know, if you're, if you're inauthentic and you're presenting that, you know, you've went through this tragedy or that you're, expert's a strong word, but you know, an expert on this mental health thing or whatever it is. And then someone comes to you after a show and is like pouring themselves out to you and you're not equipped to handle that or, you know, or you just simply don't care. It's like, yeah, you've really done such a disservice to these
1: people. Totally. Yeah. And it's like making the time, making the time to listen because they've made the time to listen to you. Um, And it's like, you know, I'm extremely grateful (laughs) if someone makes the time to sit down and listen to a whole Bad gg record, you know. You could be listening to anything else, like you could be listening to Metallica or the Beatles, or you could be listening, you know, whatever it is. Like, yeah, you know, you could put on Mozart, but you've chosen <laughs> this, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know,
0: I think the the thing is with that, like, you're absolutely right, and i th- I think it's something that music fans are kind of kind of hit or miss on, um, in that, like, obviously, you know, people are listening to the music, whatever, and regardless of what artist it is, but it, it still feels like there's a little bit of a, for lack of a better term, like a gatekeeper mentality with some of it, right? Like, oh, this is mine. I don't want to tell a bunch of people about these bands. So it's like, you know, on the one hand, like we get it, you're connecting, we want you to do that. But on the other hand, like, what if you sharing that song can help somebody else? Or one of your other friends goes, man, I didn't know that, like, you were in that kind of mental state. Like, is there something I can do to help you as well? Like, you know, there's so much power within that sort of um, that realm of things.
1: Yeah, totally. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. so let's let's start diving down the mental health hole a little bit here. Um, growing up in Australia, you know, we mentioned it a little bit before the uh, the episode quote unquote started here. I told you that you know I've been interviewing a lot of um, or having these types of conversations with a lot of Australian artists, and it seems like at least now um, the conversations are a little more open and things like that. Growing up, like historically for you, you know, in America, it was it. I can definitely remember i'm thirty eight years old. I can definitely remember growing up, and it was like you don't talk about your problems, yeah. you bottle it up you you know we don't talk about the uncomfortable. How was it in Australia, especially in your youth, and you know trying to work through things
1: yeah like i I remember um you know I grew up I live in Melbourne now, but I grew up in a very small town in like a sort of like a farming area um you know, this the whole state that I'm from has about the population of one small part of Melbourne. So it's you know about 500,000 people in the whole in the whole state. Um, and there, were, you know, and there were lots of um, sort of things that like people struggled with in high school. Um, you know, I I was sort of lucky to have um, you know a group of a group of friends um, that I had common interests with like we listened to similar music and we'd go you know and we'd go skateboarding together and you know um and i guess like a lot of a lot of the things that sort of um came up in those times um, were i guess like as we sort of got to um like the end of you know high school 17 you know, looking at what we're going to do, like feeling sort of like a certain sense of feeling trapped. Um, In a a small town, in a place where um, there's, you know, very high unemployment and a lot of um, the jobs that you could get at times could be quite humiliating. Um, And like, for example, like I remember um, being on, needing to get a job and I had to do this trial washing dishes at a restaurant like just scrubbing dishes in a sink as a trial not right. getting paid um for like x amount of time before i could be considered you know and things like things like that were a bit humiliating um yeah and then it's like you know i remember getting to a point where like you know what am i going to do and that's as you sort of like reach the age of 18, like that, that was a struggle that a lot of people really went through Um, and different people dealt dealt with it in different ways. Like um, some, you know, people that I went to high school with, they dealt with it just by dropping out and staying at home and smoking weed all the time. That was one way. Some people dealt with it. And, you know, other people dealt with it by, you know, moving away and going to university. Um, And I didn't know what to do and that that was sort of like the first like the first real um difficulty that i had um, is what to do who am i where am i going and i remember um feeling a bit lost for quite a long time Um, Yeah, and you know one of the things that and i as you know in, in that sort of time um i was in a band i was in a few bands um and i remember Um, a new band that I started, um, you know, it was the year I'd finished grade 12. So, you know, I was just hanging out, not really having a job because there weren't many jobs, um, Parkway drive came to our, came to the city. That's about four hours away from where we lived. And we got to play with them and, um, you know, we drove around like, you know, in our cars, you know i think it was like three gigs that we did with them and like then i was like oh sick like i i feel i don't feel so alone now and um that that was very helpful for me um yeah yeah and then but it was sort of like that sense of like you know feeling small in a big world and trying to find your way was very difficult. And we didn't really have the tools to talk about it or deal with it. Um, you sort of just had to deal with it on your own. Um, and some people struggled and ended up succeeding. Some people fell somewhere in the middle. And um I, I think I definitely fell somewhere in the middle with all of that. And it took me a while just to like work out who I was and what I want and what I'm gonna do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think You know, I think that's a a similarity pretty much anywhere in the world where, like, as you begin to exit the, you know, primary schooling before you go on to additional um, college, university, whatever, um, I think a lot of people end up starting to have that existential crisis a little bit of like, okay, I've learned everything that they told me I had to learn, but what the fuck do I want to know? Like, yeah. what do I want to do? How do I do it? You know, where do I want to be? Where, you know, and it, it gets really tough, especially, you know, depending on like parental situations or, you know, like you're talking about the environment within the the towns and stuff. I grew up in a very small community as well, where um, farming is the the chief occupation around it. So um, when I knew I definitely didn't want to be a farmer. So uh, for me, I I went through that same thing of like, okay, what am I going to do? And, you know, I went and I got a degree and I've not used my degree since I graduated. You know what I mean? Like, so it was like, okay, this is the thing I want to do. And then I got my degree and I was like, I I don't want to do that. And it took me a long time as well to figure out like, oh shit, like I wasted time. What do I do to make it up? You know, I started doing music journalism and I've got another job and whatnot, but the music scene is what really kind of was able to pull me out of that existential crisis of who am i and what what am i going to do you know and that sounds yeah. like similar for you where like once you get around the right people it's like okay i i don't feel so alone i feel safe and i know some sort of direction that i want to move in
1: yeah yeah that's right and like i guess like the next the next thing that sort of came um for you know so for people that i sort of grew up around um the next thing sort of came um with like having like our you know serious relationships and you know how we dealt with that like as as young men and um you know and that and that that in itself like can be something that impacts on people um to quite a heavy extent um yeah and like how how you deal with like you know rejection and how you deal with getting dumped by uh your girlfriend when you're 21 like you know for a lot of people for a lot of people that can be that can be a tough thing and um you know at at that time as well um different culturally and i think um you know young men were very very sexist um yeah you know and um know sort of how you fit in around that culture um that that has an impact on you in terms of like how you how you see other people like whether like you've been socialized to see um you, you know young women that you might have an interest in as like full human beings or just you know or not full human beings that are sort of just an object and you know having to learn um you know through what was like in australia like i'm sure it was pretty similar but there was sort of like a pretty toxic culture in like ev- everywhere like you know yeah. the footy the footy boys um the sport boys were yeah. very very toxic and um you know people in um band communities as as well were like you know some people were like equally so um and you know, and that and that sort of like became the next thing. Like, and I know like at the time, like I sort of struggled with being um with sort of like issues around my appearance and um, you know, being overweight and getting broken up with because I was overweight and being told that and yeah. um you know, sort of like developing like obsessions around like eating and you know, then working out or, you know, whatever. And that was something that I sort of went through. Um, And for a male, um, it wasn't like, um, it wasn't something that you were meant to go through and it wasn't something that you were really meant to talk about. And it was like, you know, real sign of weakness, (laughs) like what the fuck's wrong with you sort of thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And like that, and that was like, that was like, as far as mental health goes, that was like the real, the real struggle for me. Um,
0: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, the, the point I want to make about what you just said is, you know, it's something that the perception is that men don't have to go through that, you know, because it's, especially, you know, thanks to mainstream media and, you know, movies and all that, like, it's always portrayed that, oh, it's only females that get talked down to about their, their size or, you know, their appearance and things like that. And it's like, No, that it goes both ways. The guys just don't say anything about it because we've been, you know, kind of conditioned that that's not a real problem for guys. And it it is, I mean, it sounds silly to some people, I'm sure, but I went through, you know, very similar being a, a heavier person myself. And it was one of those, um, you, you get kind of trapped in this mode of thinking that, well that was the only thing right like that's the only thing that was wrong but that's quote unquote something that i can fix so like you said you get trapped in okay i'm i'm going to be very specific about what i eat i'm going to go to the gym more i'm going to i can fix this and yeah. you don't understand at that time that a it's not a problem with you it's a problem with them but b <laughs> like sure you may be able to fix the surface level quote unquote fix, because nobody needs fixed, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, you fix the surface level, but it, it really, as cheesy as it is, it matters about who you are inside. And it's it's so unfortunate that especially in the the male side of things, you know, when men tend to open up about their feelings, especially around women, um, it's seen as like you said, a weakness or like what what's this guy complaining about or whatever and it's yeah. like what, why am i not allowed to have problems like we're all we're all people we're all humans yeah. maybe we're aliens now that we've discovered that that's a real yeah, thing now be. but you know um, <laughs> aliens right yeah. so you know what i'm getting at though like you know it, yeah. it is so stigmatized for for the male side of the uh the yeah. population to talk about these things and i think yeah. um that struggle, especially if you don't have the right community around you, um, friends, family, whatever that supports you and is able to help you through that, um, it's a very dangerous and and slippery slope. Very quickly yeah. around that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And um, I guess like one of one of the positive like changes in culture, like that, I've I've noticed here is like the more willingness to talk about things like that. Um, and that that helps it really yeah. helps because if you can't talk about things you're just stuck and isolated and um, yeah that's of benefit to people that the, the culture is shifting a little bit
0: yeah well and that that was honestly the whole reason I started this particular podcast is you know I I feel so strongly about mental health and music but um, you know the the tagline if you will when I pitched the the podcast to, to PR or management or whoever um, is that I want to have these conversations without the veil of lyrics and I, I say that because you know so many people mm-hmm. do relate to the music but to kind of humanize the artist a little bit so that people can see like what we've talked about with authenticity of this guy went through this thing like yeah. I, I can see myself in that person now um, yeah. it's not just a stage persona. Yeah, that's
1: exactly right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so within Australia specifically, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, you just mentioned the society starting to change a little bit. The conversations are becoming more frequent. Um, similarly, in America, they are, I think, at least for what I've seen in America, there's still a lot of stigma on, or, you know, kind of skewed perception around, well, who said it, you know what I mean? Like who's talking about it? Is it really a a topic? Are you seeing that, you know, for quote unquote local celebrities or whatever that you're running into some of that too, where like these quote unquote spokespeople are speaking up and then people are only taking it at a certain level of value because of who it is.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, so like in, in Australia, sort of like the mental health space sort of like seems to be like dominated by NGOs and we've got um, a number of NGOs that are doing that are doing good work and. Um, you know, sort of like the activity around like mental health for artists seems to be like contributing um, money or sharing like the materials of the different NGOs, which is a which is a good thing. And it's a good yeah. and it's a good start. Um the, you know, the thing that I wonder um is that, you know, how much is mental health impacted by, you know, the real experiences in people's lives, particularly around what they do, what we do every day with work and housing and that sort of thing. Like um, I don't know what it's like in the United States, like here in Australia, we're going through like a cost of living crisis. Um, Young people in cities in particular, like people from like rural parts of Australia that need to move into cities to find employment. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the rates of like rent increases are crazy. And like people are like more than um ever like sort of a bit squeezed and a bit stressed and having to work more or having to um you know spend less or go out less or whatever and then, and yeah. that that sort of is what's having a big effect here um and in in the NGO space like I, they do a lot of good work and I support them like I'll you know, I 100% like support the mental health NGOs and recommend people um, use the resources they have. Um, I'm just wondering, like, is there a bit of the conversation that's missing? Um, Because like how, how we think about the world and the attitudes we have, and like the, you know, if you can use mindfulness strategies and things like that, that's a benefit. And that's all really powerful. Um, But you know, when, when does um, our like real conditions of life like how does that get addressed and get improved and like when and how does that actually like impact people's mental health because I think like it possibly has a pretty big impact
0: yeah I mean you know I'm not a licensed therapist or anything myself but I, I would agree with you I think you know especially like the the situation that you're mentioning where you're moving from a A much smaller environment into a bigger city because that's where the jobs are that's where you know you need to be for your career plan or whatever and then to have such heavy living expense it it's almost it not even almost it has to be very defeating right like yeah well i have to do this thing so that i can better my life and and move forward but by doing that thing i'm going to get beaten up because i can't afford to do it so like there has to be so much struggle to your point with you know the the mental fatigue and everything of trying to balance like okay i have to get x number of hours or i have to take a second job because my rent just went up you know 30% and then groceries are now 20% higher and you know like there's just so much that goes into it and i think you're right i think you know, regardless of the, the country or the governmental uh, entity, like they're, unfortunately the the whole world's, you know, virtually capitalist and whatnot. But if there were measures put in place from the government where there were caps and limits to certain things, like, okay, housing can only go up X number of percent per year. Like that, alleviates some of that concern and, and issue. Um, but I think too, the, you know, the NGOs are great, but the access to mental health, you know, professionals, I don't know what it's like there, but we have a shortage in America. There's just simply not enough therapists and things like that to to really fill the demand.
1: Yeah, like I, th- I think here, like two we're sort of in a similar state where they're, you know, people have um you know in in australia sort of how it works um if you're going to see like a a psychologist for most people it's prohibitively expensive because it's a couple couple hundred bucks a pop um and one of the great things that some of the ngos do is they make um, sessions available for free um and that's really powerful and that's super important and that's why like our band supports um you know different mental health NGOs um however like you know there are few very few um sort of therapists that people could get into if they're needing help and there's wait lists and you have to have you know you have to have the money and even with um you know what the australian government provides here which is more than a lot of other countries as far as i know um yeah. i'm not i'm not a political expert or like Me knowledgeable <laughs> about all that stuff being a musician that spends all his time like m- doing music stuff or just chilling out um <laughs> i'm not i'm a very unqualified person to speak on that stuff but i know i know like um yeah like here you gotta have the money up front and the there's government supports actually a rebate so you gotta actually be able to pay for it first and I know you know and I've talked to talked to people um that you know they've needed they've had they've been going through problems in a week and they've can't afford to pay for this for their session and they're not they're not getting like the help that they need um you know and that and that's a problem um having to wait and the other the other thing that I'm like noticing like in my work like I, I work within the education industry like um in Australia and there's like I've you know haven't been working in a, the field for that long only a few years but you know what I've noticed in that short time is like a more um sort of a more prominent um appearance of like mental health issues in, like younger younger teenagers especially around like the 10 to 13 year old age group um which is i don't know if it's new i don't know if it's new but it's being um you know it's definitely like more prominently noticed by teachers and families and parents at the moment um, yeah. and that could be a good thing or a bad thing
0: right and i don't know i don't know obviously the australian side of the numbers Um, But in America, you know, that's actually one of the stats that I talk about fairly frequently is in that very young demographic. So uh, in the U.S., suicide is the second leading cause of death in kids age 10 to 14. Wow. And like, you know, it's mind blowing to think about 10, 11, 12, 13 year old kids that at that age at such a young age they feel like that's the answer that's the escape yeah. you know and it it's brutal to think about that and it's not trying to knock on any parents i'm sure obviously there's some situations where the parents could have done something to change you know or maybe the signs were there um but i think you know perhaps i don't know on the australian side as well but you know with the the rise of social media, right? Like cyberbullying has become such a prominent thing, that I think Mm. that plays a a massive factor in some of that where, again, I'm 38, bullying was obviously a thing when I was in school, but it was face to face. And like, yeah, you know, we not that I'm condoning punching someone, but you could reach out and punch someone in the face if they were, you know, trying to bully you. Um, Doing it online, obviously, it's a little harder, you have to, you know, sure you can block and delete the comments or whatever but um i think that that probably contributes some to it as well but it makes you start to question and maybe this is where your thinking is too it makes you question why maybe schools aren't better equipped to talk to kids about these things or have a counselor um as part of the nursing staff and things like that for these kids to reach out to
1: yeah like I, i imagine like um you know, when when I sort of like first got onto social media, it was sort of like in the era of the death of MySpace. So like MySpace, I was at the beginnings of MySpace. So <laughs> yeah, My MySpace. I I I heard about like the the rise of MySpace, but I wasn't allowed to use it. Right. And like I wanted to like have an account, but I you know, but I remember um, you know, the death of MySpace and how. Um, you know, sort of glorious, like the MySpace um, music scene was. Um, a lot of my friends were like into deathcore stuff, which was pretty like big on MySpace. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. and in, and that like MySpace it was like fairly minimal interaction between people. Like, yeah, you know, and it was just like you know you'd post on people's walls, but like now it's it seems to be. Very different. Um, yeah, it's very much yeah, all open of, all season of the kids, now. Yeah, and all of the kids are on it and they're all on it and they've all got their smartphones and, um, you know, and the, like the feeling that, like, people are talking about you completely behind your back and or posting things about you where you don't have any control over what they're saying. And, like, I imagine, like, that would be, like, pretty crushing for a lot of people. Um, Yeah. And I don't think that has a a positive effect on people's well-being. Um, You know, I I love how, you know, social media can be used as a communication tool. like It's a really good communication tool, but it's a, it's a two ed, you know, I think the saying goes, it's a double edged sword. Yep. I think all swords would be double edged, but (laughs) I haven't seen Most are. Yeah. (laughs) Um, A double edged sword or it cuts both ways. Maybe that's more it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, positive and toxic things like happening, affecting people in different ways. Um, yeah. yeah, bring back MySpace, though. <laughs> yeah, bring for back, sure. And bring I, I bring think deathcore.
0: <laughs> I think you know, in the prime of MySpace, I think the big difference at that time was, sure, you could connect with strangers, but people had to add you as friends for them to like really yeah. comment and things like that, and um now again it's it's just open season if if you don't have your privacy set up where it's only friends or whatever um but to to your point also like you can set up these different lists on Instagram or Facebook or whatever and um set it up where like okay I want everybody on this list to see it but nobody else can type of thing so Mm. then there can be those conversations or statuses that Oh, we're going to talk about Matthew today, and you know he's not going to see all this crap that yeah. we're talking. And I, then you hear about it secondhand, you're like, well, "Shit!" Like, what's going on? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, it, it's a it's a crazy world that we live in because I I do think you're right. Even though I'm from the era where, or right at the edge of the era where, you know, social media is bad, but to me, I I see so much benefit in it because without social media and and the internet, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah. We exactly. wouldn't be able to to try to spread the, the awareness and things like that. Um but I think the flip side of that too, that especially younger kids that are exposed to social media from birth essentially now, um, that you need to remember is like Instagram just because that person has a perfectly curated profile does not mean that's what their life looks like. That's five seconds at a time that their life was quote unquote perfect, but you have no idea what the rest of their day went.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like it's the feelings of like jealousy and inadequacy that like social media can communicate towards people like you know that that can be really tough, and I I even experience it too. Like it's like oh you know like this person look at look at how many followers they've got, and you know look at how many um, you know comments their post is getting. You know like I must be not as good because you know. And you've always sort of got that voice, like yeah. that sort of evil voice in the back of your mind. Like I absolutely I, I know I do. Um, yeah, that self-critical voice. Um, Yeah, as good as these people look at you know, and it's and it's tough to navigate, and you just that's a you know a present thing that you just gotta find a way to deal with. Yeah, uh,
0: especially as a creative like you and and I do concert photography and stuff like that, so I run into the same thing where I'm like, I may take photos of a certain band, and then you know another photographer in a different state or whatever or even the, the same state and city at the same show takes, you know, photos and you can't help, but compare a little bit. And you're like, okay, but my photo got, you know, 20 likes and his got 300, like what the hell's yeah. the difference here? And it, it can be any number of things, obviously. And it is so hard to navigate that and, and kind of reel yourself back in. Um, but I think, you know, it, it takes a certain level of discipline. Um but something I've been trying to do myself, it's hard because I do music journalism. So I yeah. need social media, but I have been trying to limit some of the screen time and stuff like that. Like, okay, I'm only going to use Instagram from this time to this time or, you know, and that way I'm not just sitting there doom scrolling through everybody's post yeah. going, Holy shit. Like, what am I doing?
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a deep hole to sink into. Um, it's especially like, you know, I've, I've experienced this myself. Like when you put out a release and you've got something out, and you know you're doom scrolling to see, you know, what playlists you got, how many streams you're getting, you know. Yeah. And if it's not what ex- if not if it's not what you hope for, like that can be tough. Like that can be tough if you miss out on things, and you know, and it's and it's not helpful because it like takes your um you know it sucks the joy out of the creative process and it's sort of like you know (laughs) you lose the sense of like fulfillment you had from just like creating something um yeah and like I think also like a lot of like the best music like a lot of really great music is released and few people get to hear it Mm -hmm. um like I've I've heard, um, you know, I've just met like people out like at a gig and like they've, you know, I've asked them like about themselves and they've, they're have they doing like this musical project and they've shown me and I'm like, that's fucking awesome. Um, but they, you know, they don't even want to release it on um, Spotify or anything because they're, you know, they're, they're because it's you know i guess like they've created it for them and also like you know if you get that thing you know five monthly listeners or whatever like that that'd be like that'd be hard um Yeah, yeah but you
0: know to your point i i just looked it up to see if there was a newer stat and there is according to billboard magazine um as of february 2023 there are close to a hundred thousand tracks released daily to Spotify. So to your point, like there's so much out there that people just aren't hearing. Um, And it it does get deflating, you know, I think your release, your newest release, and we're going to talk about it here in a second, but I think your new release is is tracking pretty well, but it's hard knowing that number and going, well, shit, we just put out a release and there were a hundred thousand other songs put out. Like, yeah. how do we come through that you know it's so, yes. cool. so yeah so yeah uh but like i said i i'm loving the new release let's talk about blue heaven a little bit it's been okay. out for about a week now um yeah let's talk a little bit about the creative process for this because i think if i'm not mistaken there's a good portion of this that was conceptualized during the COVID years and and things like yeah. that So what was that like in a, the recording process and trying to, you know, figure that stuff out, but also from a a content standpoint, you know, being in those lockdowns because Australia had some fucking aggressive lockdowns. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was serious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So like um, I remember, um, you know, starting, is it like, I guess like in, Bad Juju like we sort of have a few like um people writing um Mm -hmm. on on Blue Heaven like the bulk of the songs that got on the record were songs that um I wrote with like Russell our vocalist and then um You know, we wrote and recorded them as demos, and they sort of went out to the band, um, and they, you know, refined their parts um, and made the guitar parts good, etc. Me being mostly a bass player, um, you know, just wrote chords and drums and stuff for us to sing on, um, and just sort of had a general mood. But yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird time when we were writing it. um, We couldn't leave our houses. We couldn't um, get together. And we didn't know when it was going to end. And um, yeah, it was, it was pretty tough because we were like we persisted and kept going um, and kept working on it. But um, we didn't know like if we could record it. We didn't know when we could even play, and it went on for years. Um, right. And then when it seemed over, and we could play again, it wasn't over, and it went right. for years. So that <laughs> that wasn't like the best. That wasn't the best time to be like a, in a band. Um, the pos- the positive of it was, um, you know, we were at home, and I had the time to, you know, we had the time to work on music together um, yeah. and sort of connect connect online and work on it. Um, and yeah, like we we recorded the bulk of the album like during brief periods where we were allowed to where the things were sort of like at a level where you could like go into a studio and record and um you know luckily we had the songs ready when we were able to do that um and yeah like it it was it was cool but it was also kind of strange um because yeah. we were recording not knowing if we could if like we could finish the recording or um, whether we could play or release the music. Um, Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, that, that,
0: That was something it's been a pretty common theme for the artists that I've talked to. Like it's it was in hindsight, as tragic and terrible as it was in hindsight, it's a little bit of a blessing in that, like everybody was forced to do the same thing right like everybody's at home so it's not like any other artist could be getting ahead of you because they're out on tour mm. things like that but at the same time it's it's that mentality of especially when it did open up there for you know 2 months and then they went oh shit that was a bad idea let's lock it back down it's like well fuck are we ever really going to get to do this thing again
1: yeah because it just like because it seemed um very difficult to plan things you couldn't really plan because you didn't know what was going to happen um so that like i guess like the mental horizons of like what what it means to be in a band and you know if you're like investing money in like recording time and making videos and stuff it's like well is is that sort of money well spent if you can't actually do it or if it's going to get cancelled or you're not going to be able to release it because you can't like play in support of it and it'd be yeah so we had we sort of had all that stuff going on um which ultimately like I think for the further end product worked to the benefit because when it was all finished um we couldn't release it and we wanted we had to go to a plan b so our plan b was just to record more songs um, and try and make better songs and some of the some of like the um better songs we did um we did in the second or third um sort of batches of studio time um that yeah, so it's like I guess it's like there's three like sort of batches of like studio time that happened over nearly three years. Like yeah. um and I think we got better as we I, we got better as we um went. Um so like because of that, we extremely um were slowed down, which meant we got to take our time and um write heaps of songs and try and pick the best ones. Um and like through that process, I think we all got a bit better um at at writing songs, um, you know, we tried to write like 50 songs <laughs> um, and yeah. we had the time to do that. So right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, like doing that, like a lot of the songs are terrible and some of them are weird as hell. And um, through that process, like I think we got a little bit better.
0: Yeah, hopefully. I don't think I've seen any band do this yet. So feel free to steal this idea. Uh, okay what if you did, you know, knowing what exists in the, the cabinet, if you will, for you guys, what if there was like a COVID sessions album or a set of releases where it was all the stuff that wasn't quite good enough for this album, you know, and you're, you're just able to show like, here's, here's where we went on this journey, whether it's the weird stuff or whatever, because I think, I think the interesting thing is, you know, you, you mentioned having so long to, to work on these songs. That in itself is a positive and a negative, right? Because at yeah. some point you want to be like, somebody, please just tell me it has to be done, so we can put this out. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to sit here and just keep tweaking it. You know, uh, yeah. what was that like for you guys? Was there a voice of reason within the band that said, "Look, we have to stop fucking
1: revising this thing"? I think, I think in our band, like I in particular, am guilty of being the voice of unreason. <laughs> Um and always like wanting to change, like wanting to change stuff. Um and yeah, like we just changed things and like did little tweaks on things and it would have been a nightmare. Well, it probably was a nightmare for our producer being sent like um like all these like extra stems for things that we've <laughs> recorded at home to put on the song that they produced <laughs> with us in a studio, like in a professional studio. But um yeah, like it I think like that idea is cool. Like the song, like there's some songs there. Like some of them, a lot of them like we didn't bother like paying to get them like properly mixed. But right. like, yeah, like we've got we've got like a little reserve tank of um B sides there that, you know, hopefully yeah. some like some of them are cool. Like and a lot of them we just just were not picked because they weren't like stylistically coherent because we went right like in that time we went in a few tangents um yeah. yeah and experimented with stuff and you know there's some sort of songs that sort of sound to me a bit like Everclear, sort of like okay yeah um like almost sort of like like grungy radio rock but quite poppy um yeah. so we we tried we tried a few songs like that and like i I, for a time like i really got in we really got into like nine inch nails and like industrial stuff yeah. and like there's some songs that are like that and you know it'd be a weird um it'd be a weird compilation but um hopefully they'll see the Light of day maybe like the best songs from it we could yeah. rework or something yeah but, do like, do yeah, like there's, the there's pandemic
0: ep or something like that that's yeah just that that random collection um yep. you mentioned nine inch nails and it, it makes me laugh because He's he being Trent Reznor for people that aren't familiar for whatever reason has been brought up a couple of times in the last like six, seven episodes of this podcast, this podcast and my other just randomly people are like, yeah, I got this idea from like this Nine Inch Nails video or this song. And I'm like, you know, it it blows my mind how revolutionary Trent Reznor really is. And he doesn't get the credit for it, you know, like it's one of those like he. He changed the, the music industry on the back end and people just didn't know what was happening or didn't realize uh, that he should be getting the credit for it. There was rumors, I forget which album it was, but there was rumors that he was at shows leaving flash drives in bathrooms of their upcoming, like songs off the upcoming wow. album so that they would get leaked. He was trying to leak his own stuff. help promote it and whatnot and it's like you know it's just insane and then that's cool um then you know he gets the musical direction for um what was that movie called the facebook movie uh the social experiment or whatever like all that music is trent reznor and it's like this dude is way more talented than anybody gives him credit for
1: because they just look at nine inch nails yeah, oh, uh, it's amazing! Like this, all the soundtrack stuff that he's done, and um, how beautiful some of his songs are. Like that yeah. song, um, "Hurt" that like, mm-hmm. tr- like Johnny Cash covered. Like that's like the lyrics, and the it's just like so deep and so profound. It's like wow, like that's just amazing. Like, yeah, it's you know just mind blowing, really. Yeah.
0: yeah, which really makes me interested to hear kind of some of your stuff from from that nine inch nails influence because i think whether people uh understand it or not you know whether it was just the sonics of the industrial styling or some of of like lyrical stylings the industrial music got such a fucking bad rap in the early 90s but if you actually sit down and listen to that genre, there's some incredible stuff in that genre, you know? Absolutely it's, amazing. It's insane yeah. how good those people are.
1: Yeah, and like how, you know, in the aesthetic of it, just sort of like, I think of, when I think of like people that are into like the industrial scene, I just think of like people that are dressed as if they were in the Matrix or something like right. that. And it's like, <laughs> that's yeah. like, that's the aesthetic like people associate with it. Which is cool. Like, you know, you got your long, yeah. long jacket and glasses and stuff. The, but yeah. um, but the actual like content of the music, like it's like it's deep and it's diverse and um yeah, it's just it's really cool. It's a really cool time in music, I think. Like that's sort of like late nineties, early two thousands. There's lots of awesome stuff going on.
0: Yeah, and I, I think the the thing that if anybody hasn't listened to industrial music nine inch nails is a great example go listen but listen to the ignore the words for the first time you listen to it just listen to how deep that soundscape really is because there are so many layers to that music
1: yeah and like the use of like you know different noises and samples over different um parts of the drums and um you know all that like sound design stuff like industrial music had all of that and yeah you know I sort of like there's I've seen things like that being used in like sort of current bands like I was watching like a unboxing where this um like producer went through like the stems of the some of the songs from the Loathe album um oh yeah UK <laughs> band and like that and although it's like a pretty different genre I' had like a lot of those elements in it which are really cool um and producers are sort of using some of those things um just to add subtle you know sort of textures and cool bits of ear candy that make like the music pop a bit more um it's a good thing
0: yeah um for you guys on this new album obviously it's out now so we want people to go listen to it um normally you know if I, Get the, the artist on before the album I have this two part question but with your album only being out a little over a week by the time this goes live I think it'll still work so thinking about your album what is the song that you think people are going to gravitate to and then the flip side of that what song do you want them to gravitate into?
1: Good question. Um like I think like when when I write it like when we wrote it and recorded it initially, like um, there's a track called The Other Side um, that we thought was like just something fresh. It was like the second last song we did and it was like fairly recently recorded. Like if, if you look at like some of the songs being recorded three years ago and when it was released, like that that and another song were recorded like six months or something before it was released. Um, yeah and I just, I just thought that was, that was a, like a cool song. Like I thought, um, yeah. And like, that was, I think it was the first single we released. Um, and yeah, um, that's the sort of one I thought, but like I, I, my favorite track is the final track, the Boulevard. Um, and yeah, I, um, Yeah, like I guess like the story of the story that the song tells, a true story um, of something that sort of Russell experienced in his community um, growing up. And like I, yeah, yeah, like that's a song that I want people to listen to, I want people to get to the end of the record and like hear that one and feel like moved by it. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that one's a really solid choice. I think the one that I hope people uh, really gravitate to is Dear Mother. Um, yeah. That song is is one of those that if you connect to it, you're gonna connect heavily to it. You know what I mean? It, it's one of yeah. those that it's it's a little niche as far as the message or whatever, but for the people that are going to relate to it, I think it's gonna really, really resonate to them. Um, so that's the one I'm hopeful, you know, off this album. Obviously, we want the whole album to do well, but that's one that I would love to see. I think it'll be a slow burn, though. I think it's one that you'll just see like steady, not like crazy spikes in it. It's just going to steadily grow.
1: Yeah, that one's, um, I that's another one that's really high up on my list. And like, you know, having, you know, been around like, you know, our guitarist Abe and like, you know, the loss of his mother and like how like, how deeply like the loss of a parent would be like felt by anyone like you know i hope like few people like have to go through that um but yeah it'd be heavy like a heavy weight um yeah and then, like i'm really proud that like we have a song that sort of like honors honors her and mm-hmm. um yeah it's yeah. a cool thing
0: yeah for sure and that so I, I lost my father when I was 19. So for me, you know, hearing that song, obviously replaced mother for father and whatnot, but that, that message was one that definitely like it sunk its hooks in right away for me. And I was like, okay, shit. Like yeah. I knew it was going to be heavy, but I didn't expect to go on the emotional journey that I went on with it. All
1: right, cool. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So Obviously, we'll link all the socials and everything. I really appreciate your time to to talk about this all in depth like you have. Um, but what's the best way for people to, as we've already shit on social media, I guess, but what's the best way for people to find you guys online and interact? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, just uh, Facebook.com, Bad Juju, Oz, A-U-S, and the same on Instagram. So if you follow us there um, or follow us on, on Spotify or Apple Music, um, yeah, those are the best ways to keep in touch. Um, those are the main social media we use. We've got got a bit of a TikTok going as well, apparently, but I, I don't venture <laughs> into that part of the internet. Um, but it's but it's there. So yeah. it's this. I think it's the same handle, Bad Juju of Aus. Yeah, which w- I'll make sure I link it and everything.
0: Uh, it. What's 2023 look like for you guys as you kind of wrap up? What are you allowed to talk about as far as potential tours, things like that?
1: Yeah. We're working on some tours and, um, that's going to be exciting. We haven't quite got it ready to an- announce it all yet. Um, so yeah, there's some awesome stuff coming up. Um, where we've already been writing for nearly a year for the follow up release. So like that's, that's well underway. Um, yeah. so those, those are the two main things like working on follow up, doing some gigs tour. Fingers yeah. crossed, it all goes goes well, and we survive. And <laughs> we and survive how weird, and
0: <laughs> right? How weird does it feel to say that you've already been working on new material for a year when this album that took quote unquote took three years to make yeah. just dropped? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, shit. it's crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a weird sign of the times. But um, yeah, I've already already been writing for a year, um, and yeah, like. Hopefully soon it'll draw to a close and we'll start, you know, polishing what we got and have a good follow-up record quite soon. Yeah. Quite soon. Yeah. yeah.
0: Awesome, man. Again, I really appreciate your time. Um, I'll definitely keep you posted on on all this. I'm stoked for what you guys are putting out and and kind of Thanks what's Josh. going on. Uh obviously it'll probably be a little while for you to get to the US because it's stupid expensive for Australian bands to get over here, but hopefully, you know some of those tours that are in the works or a future tour is going to be one that is able to bring you guys over to the U S. Cause I think, I don't know, I didn't look at your Spotify numbers for that, but I feel like because of the content, the U S has definitely a following that would,
1: would match up for what you guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to get to the U S. Um, yeah. We're very grateful to have more listeners in the U S than we do in Australia, which is cool. Cause we've not, you know, Not played there um so yeah i'd love to get over to your country and play uh first chance we get like you know it's so exciting to think that we could do it and um yeah all all the bands we love like mostly american bands Uh, so yeah Yeah. it'd be a dream
0: yeah awesome man i again i appreciate it um definitely want to stay in touch and and follow you through this this adventure of musical life for you and and just see where everything goes
1: awesome thanks so much josh
0: yeah thank you man
1: thank you all
0: right bye take care and that was my conversation with matthew again huge shout out to him for having that conversation with me and for letting you guys in on a little bit of his story and um the the things he's been through and dealt with and just, uh, you know, providing that that bit of insight. So, um, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Definitely want you to go check out Bad Juju. They did just drop an album. It is fucking dope. So, please go check it out. Um, as always, I'll link all the socials and everything in the description of this podcast. So, be sure to give them a like, share, subscribe, follow. Um, all the free stuff. Let your friends know about this conversation. Um, Let your friends know about the new music that they have because you never know who's going to relate to something and, you know, it could be uh, a really powerful thing for them. So uh, that's everything I've got for you guys on this particular episode. I am working on lining up some other guests, so we'll have more coming very, very soon. Uh, we're also working on some new merch designs. I'm having a little bit of trouble finding a uh, graphic designer, a digital illustrator, whatever, artist, we're going to call it, um, to help me with some of these. And so if you or someone you know is a graphic designer or can draw really good in digital format and whatnot, uh, let me know. I'd, I'd definitely be open to collaborating um, and seeing what we can come up with. So that's everything, guys. As always, I really, really appreciate everything that you do for me and this podcast and the website and everything else. Be sure that you like, share, subscribe, follow the podcast, as well as the You Make the Scene Instagram and Facebook. Um, we've had some really cool opportunities with concert photography lately. So uh, go check that shit out because pretty dope. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's everything, guys. So remember, as always, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and you make the scene.